0: Call for service populates. Uh, They hit go. As they click go to that call for service, the drone will automatically do its thing. For those who don't know what a drone is first responder program is, that's where a 911 call for service drops, and then uh, a drone that is pre-positioned throughout the city or county uh, automatically launches and flies to the scene, streaming the live feed to responding personnel. Hey
1: everybody, it's Blue Grit Podcast. We are back this week. Clint McNear and... Tyler Owen. Tyler Owen and we got Natalie the rock star behind the camera keeping us all in line today. Cool episode um, a lot of technology a lot of cool stuff going to be discussed on this episode too. T.O. tell us who we got today. Herbert Oubre hope I said that correctly
2: <laughs> and Brandon Carr former Pearland PD now with Drone Sense, and Ubre is with uh, Pearland currently. Took a class with him last week. I'm sad to say I I don't think the outcome of the test was, was, was too great, but uh I'm I'm hoping I can I can retake that later on. But uh no, I took a test with uh with Paraland. I was fortunate to, to uh, attend a drone class down in Paraland a couple weeks ago. And uh man it got a interesting stuff going on there at at, uh, at Paraland and you got some uh some pretty cool stuff as far as with drone and response. And I called Clint immediately afterwards and said, Man, we gotta have these guys on. Gotta have them on because uh, I think this is the future of law enforcement. Uh, and so wanted to bring you guys on and talk about what you guys got going on and uh, really just your involvement with drones and, uh, you know, y'all's involvement with stuff. So welcome on to the Blue Grip stage. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So before we dive off into or delve, dive or delve, delving. Clint? We're delving. We're delving week. today? We dove last week. We're okay. delving this week. All right. Uh, I know that you're former Pearland PD. Now you're a drone since, but. Uh, Let's talk about how y'all gotten into uh into law enforcement and kind of what started your law enforcement career and then we'll we'll delve into the uh into the drones so brandon
0: definitely started out with that yeah. Uh, So I got into law enforcement a little bit after I got out of the manned aviation side of the house. So um, before I became a cop, I was wanting to get in with the airlines, became a certified flight instructor for manned aviation. Well, that makes
2: a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Did not know that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So taking that class, I'm sure that that helped out a lot.
0: You got it. So I already knew a little bit about drones, so that's where it helped us get to where we are today. But um, the career in manned aviation didn't quite pan out. Uh, Whenever I was getting deep into that is when Continental went under. Uh, and they furthered all their pilots. There's a million flight instructors for every student. And so uh, what we ended up doing is um, I ended up getting out of that and getting into the next thing that I was really interested in, which was law enforcement. Yeah. And so um, applied at, I applied it. I did what I wasn't supposed to. And I applied at like 20 different agencies. Yeah. Right? I didn't know that you weren't supposed to do that. No, yeah. Uh, so my background investigators loved me, but um, yeah, so I put in for Paraland. I was fortunate enough to get picked up by Paraland. Uh, started my career there. I uh, worked for Paraland for a little over nine years. Ubre was one of my FTOs and evaluators, uh, so that was entertaining. Um, but it, uh, it built the relationship that we have today. I mean, we, we, we work very closely together, even still, even with me not working in Paraland anymore, close friends.
2: Now, were you from the Houston area?
0: I am. So I grew up in uh, the, the Magnolia area. Okay. So so
2: for those that don't know, Continental was is, is based out of Houston. Right. Yeah. Okay. And that, yeah. were you just solely focused on Continental? Or was that just solely...
0: No, I, I wanted to fly a corporate. Uh, okay. But whenever I was trying to get all my hours up to be able to go be uh, a regional pilot or a corporate pilot, uh, you have to have so many hours of flight time. And easy way to do that is to be an instructor. Yeah. And, well, there weren't any students because there were so many flight instructors. Okay. And so... Um, I maintained my currencies for a little while and and that just wasn't panning out. It just got too expensive. Um, and so I said, all right, well, let's do the next best thing. That's going to be law enforcement. So put in for agencies all over Texas, um, did a whole lot of oral boards, whole lot of PT, (laughs) a whole lot of lie detector. tests. fun times. Um, don't miss that at all. But, uh, like I said, I got real fortunate to be picked up in Pearland. Um, loved every minute. Pearland is a great agency to work for. Uh, Want to miss them? Fairly miss it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah,
2: yeah. No, it seems like a really good agency, and everybody, everybody was there, uh, or, or that I interacted with, were super, you know, supportive. We've all been at that agency where it's like they had that 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 stare where nobody's, you know, they don't want to really interact with us. But about nothing. yeah, exactly. But everybody was super, inter- and it might have something to do with that. You know, I am with TMPA, and I was a guest in the house, but for the most part, you could tell that everybody was happy and you know interacting. Uh, but I was there for just a couple of days. But anyway, so you had him during FTO. You had this guy.
0: I <laughs> did.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. That, that, that was, was his
3: ghost face. Tell him, the, tell, okay. tell him the story.
0: Yeah, I was a guy. He was my, uh, he was my ghost face evaluator and he was obnoxious. And so, because I had zero feedback. So like I was an evaluator. I was an FTO for years as well. Uh, I learned what Uber did and was like, I'm not going to do that um you learned from him what not to do yeah (laughs) no i mean he's one of our most distinguished fdo's we have um but i mean i learned a ton from him even with being ghost phase and but what was obnoxious about it was he would provide absolutely zero feedback like he was literally a ghost the entire time like I'd, i'd be driving around and he'd just be sitting there doing his thing and then he'd look over at me write some notes And then we keep on going. Right. It's it's ghost face. (laughs) I got no no feedback whatsoever. Are those good notes
1: or bad notes, sir? Well, I mean, I passed.
0: (laughs) so I guess they were semi good notes mostly. Um, But yeah, like he just no feedback whatsoever the entire time. And so that was frustrating for me because I was going through FTO. You know, you're constantly getting stressed. Right. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And so instead, I just see him doing this the whole time. And uh, I mean, even whenever uh, we got a burglary alarm call uh, and I went up and on the map, the roads connect, but in the real world, the roads don't connect. And so he, I started going and he realized what I was doing because he knew that that happened. So the whole time we're getting there and as we get closer and closer, I just see his big old grin getting bigger and bigger. And uh, we get there and he's like, well, the wrong way, huh? I was like, yeah. He's like, all right, well, let's get there. So I had to drive all the way back around. I was like, you knew that. He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh yeah, no, I mean I've learned a lot of, from from Ugri over the years. Uh he helped shape a lot of the way that I did policing. Uh he was always somebody I could always turn to for any type of advice or uh whether it was whether I got in trouble or if I had a uh, any type of uh investigation I had ongoing on how I could put, potentially do it better. So he was uh, he was a great resource for me uh, going through the the my entire career as a law enforcement officer. That's cool. Yeah. that's cool. He's not bad.
1: Did Joe look like twins when you trained yeah. him
3: or This is why this? we it uh, kind of developed over time. <laughs>
1: the stress of
2: being an FTO will do it to you, <laughs> I'm sure. So how long have you been with Pearland? Uh,
3: since
1: 2008.
3: Oh, wow. Well, 15 years today, or this month will be 15 years.
1: Did you grow up in the area down there?
3: Uh, I grew up in uh, South Houston area, um, just south of Houston. Uh, family is all law enforcement or fire. Um, tried the fire academy, wasn't for me. You um, didn't like
2: sleeping and all the time. Like you yeah, didn't like video no, games and no. There's a lot of
3: boredom in the fire yeah. department. So uh, <laughs> I'm, decided, joke,
2: I'm joking, fireman. Don't get upset. I don't want to get any hate mail. Blue grit.
3: Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so I decided to carry a gun instead. <laughs> yeah, um, went to the Or I went work Harris County Sheriff's Department first. I uh, Was a detention officer for them for about a year and a half. Um, they came over to Pearland. They put me through the academy. Um, been on the streets ever since. Work patrol. I've only worked patrol. Um, that's where I'm focused at.
2: Now, didn't you have some experience? You were a patrol, but I thought I heard you correctly when you were canine. you were canine. I
3: was, I was canine for about a year,
2: and then you had also tactical experience.
3: Uh, so, no tactical experience um, in the last year. I've been attached to our SWAT team, okay, um, as the pilot for the SWAT team, so
2: okay. Yeah. But maybe when you were a canine, you may have deployed your dog with the canine with with the TAC unit. Maybe oh, when I was in canine,
3: we were uh, single purpose dogs. Okay, so, so no tactical. Experience. No, okay. Okay,
2: so over time, um, you've obviously got ton of experience with Patrol Pearland is a very active city. For those that don't know, it's on the south side of Houston. It's a fairly large agency, very well respected agency. We've got a couple of board members there, uh, and I'm not just saying that because they're on the board. Shout out John DeSpain and Tommy Landis. Uh, but again, it's a it's a pretty big size,
0: you know, agency. Uh, how many sworn? I think we're right at two hundred, just over 200.
3: No, we're one at seventy, I believe, right now.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty big, pretty big department. So, how did who who got who got started into the drones, and how Listen, did that?
1: You're at one seventy eight now. I guess in January you had one seventy nine. Yeah, oh, thanks, Brandon. <laughs> thanks, Brandon. <laughs> thanks, Brandon. Yeah, My bad, appreciate Brandon. that, <laughs> buddy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um.
0: Yeah. So uh, back in Thanksgiving of 2017, we had an autistic juvenile go missing. Uh, it was a massive search event. We had Texas echo search out there. We had coast guard in- integrated. We had all the neighboring agencies that could spare officers. We had, um, all of the community looking for this autistic juvenile. I, I was even on, uh, FML later in that time I was coming off of a surgery and even me and my wife hopped in a car and we're driving around. Wow. Uh, trying to find this, uh, this autistic juvenile. And, um, unfortunately that did not end the way that everybody was hoping. Um, he, he ended up finding a, uh, pawn on, on property. Um, And at that time, uh, a lieutenant at the time ended up writing a proposal to chief saying, hey, there's these things called drones. And uh, had we had drones, we potentially believe we could have either saved that child's life or brought closure sooner than we did. Um, And one late night when I was trying to just stay awake on night patrol, I was going through all the different proposals. And I found the drone proposal. And I said, well, hey, I got FAA background. I know a little bit about drones from playing call of duty uh maybe i can make this happen right and so um i asked if i could run with the proposal and see if i can build this out and chief said yes Uh, and so me being the overly persistent individual that i am uh was able to build that out um we also were super fortunate that uh, my city had already purchased drones Um, but drones are not just the toys that a lot of people think they are um the city was not able to get those drones to actually fly just because of updates and the challenges of those systems. They bought one of the most complex platforms that were on the market at the time. Um, and so I asked, I was like, well, if I can get this to fly, can and PD use it? And they said, well, yeah, good, good luck. And I said, great. And so I started doing some research. Um, I got into some Facebook groups that are um, – have what I would consider the big subject matter experts, uh, worldwide subject matter experts. uh, And they took me under their wing. They helped me get these drones flying. They educated me on everything that I know today.
2: So real quick, we're talking about 2017. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think back in my law enforcement career, where where I was at the drones in law enforcement was not a real big thing at that point. So you're talking How many agencies in Texas at that point, or or at that point in time, do you remember?
0: Real few. Uh, I know Texas DPS was utilizing drones a little bit. Uh,
2: I can't think of any.
0: uh, Yeah, no, Austin Fire, uh, their red team had started one. Coy Kessler started a drone program, and he's one of the first people I reached out to. Maybe uh, a couple
2: handful in California.
0: Yeah, very little amount of agents. Some, but very, very little.
2: So, for the most part, law enforcement in Texas, we relied only on air support. Right. That's it. So, when y'all needed air support, you would have to rely on DPS Houston. Houston.
3: Yeah. We call it Houston Fox. Mostly. Yep.
2: And that was it. Yep. So you're literally talking about pioneering something 100%. thinking outside the box. <laughs> yes. Which I think is pretty badass.
0: It was fun. I mean, yeah. there was were, were some, there was a lot of lessons learned. Oh yeah. A lot of lessons <laughs> learned. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. And this is in Pearland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Houston PD probably wasn't even probably because they had their, they had their area in it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. They do.
0: They're but just now at this point time. Program off the ground. Yeah. Okay. There. Go ahead. Uh, so we were able to, uh, get access to those drones. Uh, I went and took a couple of classes and got my feet wet a little bit on some things and that I needed some training on, on Mm -hmm. gaps I couldn't quite figure out. Um, And then we just grabbed one of the cheaper drones and we went into our gym and we flew them around to try to see what they could do. Um, And we learned a lot about that. We learned that don't turn the lights off uh, when the drones are flying because it'll (laughs) want to crash. Uh, I learned about the, how to turn the motors off mid flight on accident. Um, So a lot of lessons learned there. Uh, but what's really great about it, though, is uh, not a month or two later, we had our very first win. Uh, Uber was over at my house having breakfast, and we got a call out um, on a missing autistic individual who left his group home. Uh, and so they had been searching for that individual for a little over an hour. Uh, they called us to come fly the drone. We got the drone out, not having any clue what we're doing <laughs>
3: at all. I was going through the license process. I was, yeah. I was where you are right now.
2: Oh, but <laughs> but He passed.
3: Eventually, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we launched
0: the drone, and we ended up finding him after think about thirty minutes of uh, searching for him. So we came full circle, right? Right? Initiation was an autistic individual. That's cool. Man. First find was an autistic individual. Were
1: y'all an official drone unit at that time, or was it just kind of, hey, we're letting a couple of guys figure this out and play with it? Oh, by the way, give them a call and see if they'll come.
3: <laughs> you got it. Come play. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I just started. Hey, we were working together and he just started convincing me to start flying with him. Like I, he was convincing me to go through the license process and my shift knew that I was flying. And so they called me because I was, I was coming in a few hours later. And so they called me like, hey, can you come in now and fly this thing? And I was like, uh, sure, we'll give it a shot. I mean, we never tried it before. What we'll, we'll, was there well, even a licensing process
2: at at that? Oh, the there, one, was a there was. There was. One hundred and
3: seven was still there, but it was in the early days. Yeah, it days. is. I was I was the guy manipulating the flight controls, right? I, I, was, well, I was unlicensed. He was my. I got was my RP. Your PIC. There you go. Oh, yeah. So um,
1: from the first um, child that was searched for and not located till you till that win, what what was
0: that time frame? Uh, about a year and maybe a month or so. About a year and maybe a month. Because because uh, it happened in Thanksgiving. Uh, Thanksgiving was where that child went missing. June 2018 is when we first started flying. Uh, so it'd probably be right at about a year or a little over a year that that second incident happened. And
1: for our listeners that haven't dealt with a person in the autistic community, for whatever unique, and I, I'm certainly not a psychologist or psychiatrist, but there's a phenomenon with autistic People, and it seems like autistic kids specifically, when they come up missing, we feel like we're under the gun on a timeline because there's a phenomenon where they go to water. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, many, many missing autistic young people and kids are found in pools, lakes, ponds, streams, creeks, which puts an extreme amount of time sensitivity on on. You know, people on horseback or if you can get an aircraft air unit up, I mean, it's literally a matter of probably
0: saving a life. Right. And that was the first thing we started looking for. I was like, find the pools. Let's hit the pools first. Uh, And then we hit the ponds that were around there. There There's three ponds uh, that were around where that individual was. So we hit those first, uh, just knowing that that's generally where they gravitate to. Um, But we ended up locating him. He was actually on the backside of a hill, uh, which is why ground personnel weren't able to locate him. Uh, he was up against on the backside of a hill, up against a uh, basically a sound wall uh, for a subdivision. Uh, so we were able to locate him and provide ground coordination so that we had a, a good apprehension and got him back to the group home safely. So first deployment wow.
1: was first win. Yes,
0: yes. first cool. live deployment. First one for one. Hey yeah. man, that's way to yeah. That's, that's pretty good record right there. <laughs> well, yeah, we said we should probably quit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, let's wrap it up now. But I mean, honestly, for for. We've all dealt with – he was a Garland cop. Uh, you know, I worked for a city. for, for Dealing with it for, for, for one year from start to finish, that's a pretty good response.
3: Yes. It, it was, it was a lot, lot changed in one year, and we, we were able to break it from maybe we can do this to a reality and make it win. out. Yeah, it.
2: within one year, that's a pretty good deployment, especially with the Pearland being the size it is. So, yes. I mean, kudos to you guys for doing it so 20, and then to seeing what it
1: is now. 2018, roughly, first deployment, first win? Yes. And then how did how did the unit, because clearly it wasn't a set or official unit at that time, How's how did that begin to evolve, or what what did that look like? Did that help you get traction, or uh, was it still really slow?
3: Somewhat. So he was flying, then I started flying. Uh, we were both on the same shift on nights.
1: Personal um, aircraft?
3: No, city-owned. No, city all city-owned. Um, so we were flying on our shift, and so our shift went from – the shift that that was we're now the shift that has drones so we go to we were just given blanket access to calls our supervisors told us if you hear a call that you think can help out with somebody running from us uh somebody missing just go don't even ask just go um so about two months later we had a uh runaway go missing and we got sent i went to the call pulled up on the scene there's like uh it's a, it's a younger kid runaway probably eight nine and so a lot of cops are showing up and the supervisor is disregarding an officer saying, Hey, let him search the neighborhood. He can clear the whole neighborhood of the drone in minutes. It's gonna take us forever to drive every single street in the neighborhood. He can yeah. just fly across it and be done with it. So I don't need I don't need ten of y'all. I need like three of y'all to search the outlying areas. Let him search the neighborhood. Y'all stay out of the neighborhood. And so you you immediately saw the buy-in. Um, and every time we would have a call where we would go over there, that that we get another little buy in. Somebody else would, would, would say, Hey, that's pretty good. That that works really well. Um And so we developed from that. And then we just started adding pilots as people get interested, right? It took a while. A lot of people weren't interested. They thought that we were out there playing with toys. Um, and so we get one more pilot added. Then we get one more pilot added until we eventually started a a team. We were still assigned to patrol, but we just fly drones on the side. What platforms
1: were you flying back then?
0: Primarily
3: all DJI. Yeah. Primarily all DJI.
0: DJI is the, it's the largest manufacturer in the world for drones. Um, over 95% of public safety agencies are utilizing TGI platforms um, and so we were utilizing those not just because of their efficiency but also for the cost savings uh, and i mean they're the they're by far the cheapest drone that has by far the most capability and user friendly it seems like very police friendly oh yeah very police friendly even firefighters can figure so it out so <laughs> like the cost the
1: cost the platform user friendly i guess it's all around it is kind of the right. it's the caprice the Chevrolet Caprice, if you will, mm. of, not always the prettiest, but it'll be, always get the job done. Yeah. Yes. The, oh man, I like that shot. Thank you. <laughs> Let that slide. <laughs> Let that slide. So, start you. You two guys kind of started it out. What is the program staffing? How many pilots today at
3: Pearland? So we have six pilots on the team now, um, active pilots, and I have four supervisors. Um. All of them are pilots as well. Um, most of them don't fly as often, though. Uh, it relies on us to fly. So we have two uh, two pilots on day shift and four pilots on night shift.
1: And do you guys do, like, SWAT and Canine? Do you have a designated, like, two-day-a-month training day? Yeah, so we, we, allotted, trained, or? we train twice
3: a month um, on different uh, on different aspects of what we do. And you're all doing, I guess, DGI is what you all are doing now. Yes. That's all we have right now is DGI.
2: Then, when, whenever y'all started this, and you're talking about as y'all continued to get the buy-in, was it DJI
3: products that the city initially bought, or were they outdated, or were, they were? Well, the first drones were outdated within uh, probably three months of us starting to fly them. They came out with a new model, and we were outdated. We had one drone. Uh, we had a, a Matrice 210, which is a large model um, that stayed in service for a long time, but our small drones that we flew on a daily basis that we were able to carry easily with us were outdated. As soon as we got our first wins with them. Okay. And so it took a little while. We convinced our IT department to, to buy us some new ones. And we upgraded to it to some better aircraft that had thermal in them. And we thought we were, we were going real good <clears throat> until we tried to fly those thermal drones at night. Yeah. And realized quickly that the thermal in them was not very good. Yeah, um, The first models were, were pretty bad. Um, we'd get lost in the sky because you, you couldn't see the ground well. You had to come back down so you could navigate better again. So we grew from there and slowly just every – they're worse than cell phones. They upgrade them constantly. Yeah. And then they just continue or just cease supporting the old models. And so you're, you're stuck trying to buy the next model so you can stay in support and keep flying.
2: What I, what I thought was interesting is the fact that you've got a canine background and then you're also utilizing the drone. So with your canine background, how much of a benefit has it been, especially with searching for suspects – uh, and doing the search and rescue, how much? How much have it? What benefit has it been with you integrating with the drones uh, in that search and rescue operations with sharing that information with the other drone pilots?
1: Probably understanding perimeters and yeah.
2: things yeah. like that.
3: So I did a lot of searching. Um, I was I was interested in K nine for a long time before I got into K nine. Um, so I trained alongside them. So that's where our biweekly training came from, was mm-hmm. because I I was attached to them as well, and so we would go out and I, I know like, hey, these guys are going to run a pattern this way. This is the way their dog's going to tell us, um, keep ahead of the dog because the dog may lose the scent and have to backtrack. Just pay attention to where they're going. They'll tell you. And it was a it was a working relationship between us and them. They, got, they bought in pretty quickly because we were able to get one of the first wins with them early on, or they end up locating the suspect just feet away from them. And they had no idea he was there. We saw him on Thermal. Like, hey, he's real close, like five feet off to your right. He's right there. That's huge. Yeah, and so they they wanted the they wanted the safety of knowing that they had Overwatch keep an eye on them. Um, so they bought in real fast, and we were able to because I just left the unit. I left the unit 2017, so it was perfect timing for me to come into this. So it was a year out. I knew all the guys. We had good working relationships, and so I was able to work with them back and forth between the two sides and work out like how we're going to communicate, who's going to talk to who. Um, at, in, the, in the early days, we had a dedicated channel between the canine handler and the pilot so that they always had direct communication. There was never any anybody clogging up our airways saying something dumb that we don't need to hear about. Yeah, yeah there was always the direct communication between those two the whole time.
1: And for our listeners, um, what he's talking about is um, Tyler gets in a car chase at 2 a.m. The guy bails out near a green belt or a tree line and runs into it. I have, I have three options either not pursue and hope he beds down quickly, chase him and utilize my flashlight to try and find him, which he now knows where I'm at and if he's armed, he's going to shoot at me or run through the woods in the dark blindly. And the options that he's talking about with an aircraft is, um, even if you pursue briefly, um, and you try and use some light discipline, you find yourself in the middle of the woods in the dark You lose direction quickly. You don't always want to backlight or silhouette yourself with a flashlight. And so when you have these guys that can get up and have overwatch with some sort of night vision or thermals, it's a really, really refreshing feeling when you hear Jesus on the radio say, hey, he's literally laying 10 feet to your immediate right right now. He is 10 feet because you can't see him. And whether he's armed or not, he poses a threat to you in the dark Man, it's a great feeling hearing you guys come on the radio. And for years, it was a helicopter because drones were not the technology that we have now. But man, it's a lifesaver to yeah. to hear somebody come on the radio and tell you, "Hey, you're about to walk up on him in 20 feet. He's literally laying in front of you in 20 feet." Yeah. And and this is a this is a challenge to
2: Paralans a 200 man agency. 100, excuse me, 178 now thanks to Brandon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It, it really doesn't make a shit if you're a 15-man sheriff's office, if you're a 50-man agency, 10-man agency. If you're going to implement drones and if you're going to work with other agencies, if you're going to intertwine and other agencies work collectively and, and together, then you need to train together. And what I mean by that is is that if Marshall PD is going to work with Harrison County Sheriff's Office or if Mansfield PD is going to work with Tarrant County, And you're working nights and nothing's going on at nighttime hook up with your drone operators with patrol and you guys get those empty buildings that's nothing's going on get permission from the you know the homeowner or the landowner or whatever and y'all work together and see how this is going to operate together and talk talk it out because if you don't train like you fight when shit goes bad we know how that works
3: yeah, so over the years, we've hosted several uh, regional training days where we bring in everybody from surrounding us to, to train together. Um, and coming from the canine world, canine does that exceptionally well. Yep, yep. right. They always get together in groups because one canine for this agency, one canine for this agency, you can't train solo. And so they do well at coordinating and making training days. So we do the same thing. We will organize training days where we bring in several different agencies to fly with us um, and then For the most part, for us, it was a lot of teaching other agencies on what we were doing because we were already doing it and everybody was trying to figure out what we were doing.
1: Well, and it's teaching patrol y'all's capabilities and how to support y'all and how y'all can support them. It's like years ago, you just called a dog, but nobody knew you should be setting a perimeter. Nobody knew you should have a roving unit to pin them down. I mean, there was a lot that the operator and patrol to understand how to maximize the support for each other there's a lot of communication and understanding that needs to go on of let me tell you what I need from you. And then you tell me what you need from me and then let's make this work. And as this technology, you know, changes and I'm a dinosaur, but out of it, but I would need you guys to tell me what can I do before y'all get on scene or vice versa so that we're maximizing the effectiveness of this
0: technology. Right. Like one of the biggest things that I've always harped on through training all the pilots that we have with Paraland now um, is communication because communication is always the first thing that fails. So we had a, fir- a few different ways that we tackled that utilizing uh, one of the softwares that we use for, as a uh, drone program is called drone Sense, And we're able to push out the live feed from the drone to any stakeholder we want to push it to without credentials. And so if we get sent out to a suspect search or a missing person search, uh, dispatch has that uh, a simple link that they put in the call notes and now patrol supervisors everybody can see exactly what our drones can Command see and cool. post you got it that's cool wow um so we push out that way it also helps because we work closely with our canines one of our trainings that we always did was a canine joint training that we had and so we learned how to communicate with each other on you know and it went away from hey the suspect is ne- by the tree next to the bush and now we're able to say he's you know 100 feet 200 feet off the dog's one o'clock, right? Or the the handler is one o'clock. Oh uh, yeah. So building out those communication pathways was one of the bigger challenges that we had because we didn't know what we were doing. Like we we're not we're not flying aircraft in the air, you know, b- before we got drones and stuff. So we had to think about how to articulate from an aerial perspective what it looks like on the ground and how to accurately explain that to somebody on the ground who has no idea what they're seeing, especially at night. Right? You can't just say, "Hey, go north." Right? A lot of a lot of the officers don't know where north is at night. Uh, so we had to figure out ways to... Order during the day. Or during the day. Yeah, during the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we had to figure out pathways to be able to communicate that, and that was one of the bigger challenges that we had.
1: So, so as a small agency with a with a smaller budget wanted to dip their toe into a drone platform, what what would a decent, functional aircraft... What would it take for them to get off the ground at a reasonable price, just a ballpark?
3: To get in the door, less than ten grand. Mm-hmm. To get that first aircraft, uh, something that's thermal capable, extra batteries, um, a, a good controller, that will get them in the door. Get them all the things they need to get their first program going. And it's it's such a force multiplier. So for, even for a small agency, and you got five guys on patrol, and now you got an air unit in that patrol unit. That one guy now become four or five guys, mm-hmm. right? You only need a couple guys to lay that perimeter, and now he can he can support everybody,
0: right? And that ten grand uh, goes an extremely long way. You'll be able to do ninety five percent of all of the deployments you'll ever need to do with that one ten grand. And that's several hundred dollars cheaper than a helicopter, just a little bit.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so you buy you buy an aircraft like that. How long would you reasonably expect that to last if you continue to do? software updates i guess software updates is kind of like a iphone i mean it's going to tell you from time to time hey you need to upgrade and then at some point it's outdated but how long reasonably
2: well client because i've attended the recently uh updated 107 class that depends on the manufacturer update
3: (laughs) um usually an aircraft (laughs) like that gets you two to three years okay yeah Two or three years of flight of flight time before you have to upgrade that aircraft to the newest model. Uh, just because they just stopped supporting the older models. They have so many new models coming out.
1: And in the grand scheme of things, nine or ten grand to save one autistic child. Yep. Or to not get an officer killed on a call is so, n- nothing. I mean that's in, in it's crazy. Right.
3: And and here, here's the real kicker. Um so you spend that ten grand, you buy a drone. Um we've all worked fatal accidents, right? Or we close the roadway for seven hours while we come out and reconstruct it um, now i can close that roadway for let's say an hour and a half two hours tops while i bring the drone to the scene i set the map up with the drone and i map the whole thing with a, with an aircraft and i get you a, down to a centimeter accurate and we're out we're out of the roadway in, in two hours we're back in yeah. service you don't have roadways the, closed the, the fastest time i've cleared a,
0: a scene from the data collection standpoint from what you were doing with the total station or a ferro scanner was 20 minutes and that was a that was a full full fatal. Took, took longer to get the records there yeah. to, for us to clear the scene. <laughs> it was twenty minutes. On average I can clear it, I can do my side in forty.
3: But just like you were saying, in two hours you can have all of it done. Yeah. You're you're talking about taking a, a an, an all night scene to a to a two hour process and you're you're back in service, your your units are back in. Um, that's our, our our policy is hundred percent drones on crash reconstruction now. Yeah. That's
1: wow, crazy. I yeah. never even considered that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and not just the cop stuck. Blocking the highway for six or seven hours, but the people stuck sitting on I-10 right for six or yeah. seven hours.
0: Secondary crashes get eliminated, right, because you're clearing that roadway way faster, yeah. way sooner, getting them back in service, opening up commerce again, especially if you're on Toll Road.
1: Yeah. Wow. So we got a whole lot of topics to love to cover. Let's talk about – let's stay on y'all for a minute and talk about um, DFR. Mm-hmm.
0: Drone is first responder. (laughs) Drone, first responder.
1: So is anybody in the country doing that?
0: Yeah, there's about... Fifteen agencies. Don't correct me. Um, there's about fifteen agencies. Uh, just just uh, this, your, this is his expert area.
1: Just look at him. <laughs> shake your head. And make <laughs> Here we go. Uh,
0: there's about fifteen agencies nationwide right now that have an active DFR uh, program, Dronus First Responder Program. And f- for those who don't know what a Dronus First Responder Program is, that's where a nine one one call for service drops, and then uh, a drone that is pre positioned throughout the city or county. Uh, automatically launches and flies to the scene, streaming the live feed to responding personnel, whether that's firefighters, EMS, SAR teams,
3: law enforcement.
0: Um, utilizing that feed, they can either clear the call with the drone or they can de-escalate the scene, uh, adjust resource allocation. Do we need more people? Do we not need more people? Um, get that eye in the sky of the scene and get it in your hands before you ever get there um, while you're in route, right? Right. Um, so there's there's about 15 agencies across the nation that are running it. Chula Vista, California was the very first agency back in 2018. They got special authorizations from the fed, uh, from the FAA uh, to be able to fly beyond Vigilana site um, to be able to do that type of operation. And what does that mean? If you
2: want to talk, so get on that topic?
0: One of the requirements to be able to fly a drone and make money uh, per the FAA is that you have to maintain visual line of sight of the drone at all times. And what that means is it's not only that you have to be able to see the drone, but you also have to be able to deconflict the airspace. Uh, So if there's another aircraft coming in, you need to be able to know what that aircraft is doing, what altitude it's at, where it's heading, Mm -hmm. is it going to hit my drone? Um, And so that's a big component of or one of the bigger challenges that you have is a drone in a trunk solution where, you know, you get on scene, you pull your drunk drone out of the back of your car and then you launch it Well, DFR. You're going to have people pre-positioned to be able to clear the airspace. They got a very first uh, waiver to be able to um, see up to two miles out because obviously that's way further than a human can have depth perception. Right. But they were able to get authorizations to be able to do that a little bit, a little bit further. They were pioneering on that. Um, I was fortunate enough to be, uh, well, persistent enough to get a, uh, the very first fully beyond visual line of sight waiver in the nation. Uh, so, apparently, it's the only agency in the United States right now that can fly drone as first responder operations without ever having any eyes on the drone or the airspace around it. Uh, we have a technological uh, infrastructure in place to be able to clean the airspace for us, um, but we're building out. Uh, six launch locations across our city uh, we have both controlled airspace and uncontrolled airspace which means highly restrictive airspace and not highly restrictive airspace um, and once we have that fully built out we'll be able to basically cover just about every nook and cranny of our city uh, for any type of call for service so that we can get the drone there first to de-escalate situations
2: so uh, just I guess explain what that would look like for just any call for service mm-hmm. bank robbery in progress uh, you know shots fired, uh, any kind of call for service within Perryland, what would that look like for that type of drone?
0: So what would end up happening? The call for service would drop. Um, the call for service information would populate on our drone sense platform, uh, which is what we utilize to pilot the systems. Okay. A docking station that we have prepositioned throughout the city would then open up the dock that's uh, the drone that's housed inside of that dock would then launch.
2: And who, and who would launch it? It just automatically launches from dispatch?
0: Right, so dispatch would would end up launching the call. The DFR supervisor would authorize a deployment for that. So, like for example, we're not going to fly for barking dog complaints, right? right? But uh, we will fly for officer of all shootings, uh, verbal disturbances, welfare concerns, things of that nature, where we think a drone would benefit. Patrol having that eye in the sky, right? So the drone would autonomously launch. It would autonomously fly to that location, and then the pilot can then pilot the drone remotely at RPD for all six of those launch locations um so he's going to be inside of our police department flying on a ps5 controller through uh, drone sense and so that way they're able to not only get to the scene and be able to get that live feed but also maneuver the drone if it becomes a dynamic situation or like almost happens every single crash they're in the wrong block right we can go through and readjust so that they can get eyes on for those scenes
1: are there any dfr programs in texas currently other than y'all
0: there's a couple uh not very many uh those are building out quickly uh so memorial villages uh in, down here in Houston as well, uh, they've had a DFR program for a little while uh, as well. But in Texas, there's not very many of them. But um, there's several of them that are building out. So, for example, uh, San Antonio uh, is in an active uh, DFR program now. Uh, they're working to build out and figure out how many sites they're going to need. But uh, they got pretty high aspirations, too, over there. So they're, they're a good agency to keep an eye on.
2: But Y'all's is unique because y'alls is not, Y'all's is completely unmanned and Y'all can launch. It's right. Awesome. Yeah,
0: yeah. So all of the other DFR programs require somebody to be able to see two miles around the drone at all times, no matter where that drone's going. Where our agency is the only agency that does not have that requirement in the nation. In the nation, yeah. is that yeah. because you're at FAA background, or um, that's because of my persistence? Because he's a thorn in the side of the FAA.
3: That's true. Um, no, that's I, fair.
1: <laughs> he called you obnoxious earlier. You can call him a thorn. <laughs> yeah, no, us. he is. They, they will. They will tell you that. He, he, <laughs> yeah, they
3: will. He he, he spent. Two years developing the Well, yeah, a a year
0: of research and then a year of debate. Um, But to the FAA's uh, credit, this is something that's never been done before, right? People are always going to be cautious about something that's never been done before. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we were able to network and and have discussions with individuals in the FAA that were progressive-minded and and were wanting to move forward with the next phase of DFR, right, and – they held me to making sure that it's safe, right? Like that was the biggest hurdle is showing that what we're going to do, we can safely de-conflict the airspace. We can safely make sure that we're not going to fly our drone into an aircraft, right? So
1: you mentioned earlier, when a call comes out, it'll pop off autonomously and fly to the site autonomously. Mm-hmm. Is that triggered by the type of priority call? Is there a system internally in the hardware that, if it rises to the level of that or is there somebody physically
3: launching it and then it is right right, right now it's just going to be it'd be whoever's pilot's on duty watches our cad um and watches our fire cad EMS cad and with either calls that they think hey this is going to be a beneficial to the to that call then they go and launch the drone
1: but it's autonomous until the pilot can make it to
0: the right to the flight station and sit down and then take physical so the call for service populates, uh, they hit go. At that once they once they click go to that call for service, the drone will automatically do its thing, and then they can take over once it gets on site. Yeah, you
2: you haven't seen it yet, but it, and I'll I'll at this point in time I'll I'll show it up on the screen. It's it's like a tomb. I mean, it's like a missile. It <laughs> it opens up and it it flies out of this right. this deal and it's strategically placed within Pearland,
1: and it flies to the location. Right. So it's there'll a, be it's secure a, locations around the city rooftop ground-based correct where these tombs
2: i didn't want to say like missile block the docking but it, station yeah docking station but it's kind of like a tomb it's i mean they're <laughs> concreted into the ground and
0: yeah, yeah. so we ju- just like you said we have uh yeah. we're utilizing uh, several different city locations so a lot of them are fire stations um the great thing about fire stations is they're required by federal law to be positioned so many miles away from each other, uh, so that they can have the coverage. So they make a an outstanding location to pre-position these drone sites, so that I can fly to any call for service in that in that district or beat. Um, and so it won't
1: wake any fireman when it launches. No, it
0: does beep. Um, so maybe That's, the decibels need to be a yeah loud. Um, but it does. Um, Love you guys. It does open up, and it does it does beep when it does that, so they may wake up. Um, but we're launching from a lot of different fire stations. We're also going to be launching from the police department, um, and then we're launching from our city service center where we do all the repairs and, and whatnot on our vehicles because it's strategically positioned very closely to a Walmart. So um, that way we can get it on site very, very quickly for those call for service.
1: And so real time, the, the the gut, the meat of it is, and especially for our military folks, that launches and gets on site like military ISR. Yes. And it's going to beat due to no traffic, red lights. You got it. All of that. And it's flying uh, as a crow flies. It's beating two squads responding to a call stuck at red lights and traffic. and
0: Right. Yes. Gen- generally speaking, it's beating in it by about three three to five minutes, depending on location of the other officer, right, uh, for those calls for service because they don't have to worry about somebody anchoring down in the lane, <laughs> right? You don't have to worry about um, people just driving slow because, you know, there's an officer behind them, things of that nature.
1: And getting to a hot call or a potential hot call three to five minutes before everybody else, there's so much potential intelligence
0: Right. It, it's not just the intelligence, though, right? Like, the drone can actually clear the call. Uh, so, for example, uh, Chula Vista actually has a running dashboard that they close out every, at the end of every day since 2018 of all of their calls for service that they fly the drone with. Um, of those calls for service, they typically are able to clear a quarter of their calls for service with just the drone. They're able to de- oh, wow. to, dis- uh, huge. to disregard responding first responders without ever getting on scene.
1: Yeah, if you're having 20,000 calls for service a year and you're clearing 5,000 of them yeah. a year without tying up staffing, and, and that's huge.
0: Yeah, name one cop that handles a quarter of all the calls for service.
1: Yeah, but we don't, we don't want the city council. <laughs> <laughs> no one, no well, but did. by intelligence, I meant, <laughs>
0: right. Uh, right, right. You, you get that call
1: of, you know, a guy's abused his wife or older right. at knife point. The drone gets overhead and sees him leave, and you have multiple squads because it sounds like right. an imminent threat. Right, driving Mach Twenty trying to get there, you can tell them, "Hey, and Crown slow Vicks. down, yeah, and Crown Vics which aren't safe." And yep. you know, so we had to win.
0: Uh, early on with our dfr program uh, when we were doing testing uh, so we have flock cameras uh, right on one of the other side of the town center mall where we have our first launch site it pinged we got the drone in the air extremely fast we were able to locate the uh, stolen vehicle that it alerted us to we tracked it to an heb yeah, we, and
3: it pulled off in a parking lot so yeah. patrol was still roaming the streets looking for it and i was able to I, I, I was able to put the drone up in one spot and search like seven parking lots in minutes yeah, found it. Um, it was parking. Saw the the driver get out, walk in the store. I was like, "Hey, I think I have it." Y'all got to go confirm the plate for me because I can't see the plate from where I am. And watched him walk all the way into the store. Gave patrol the description of the person, clothing they were wearing. Patrol showed up, confirmed the plate, walked in, found the person. It was registered owner. Just hadn't been taken out of the system. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so they were able to bring bring that person back out. Deal with the whole problem. No no issues. Right, real fast, real quick win, and. Freed up, you know, a dozen units in minutes versus everybody looking for this one stolen car. Wow, it's crazy. And y'all, you have a platform where you officially can
1: you document your calls for service of response. You document wins or clears wins, I guess as you call them.
0: Yeah, so um, DroneSense does all that for us. Uh, it autonomously. Um, Tracks all the flights, it autonomously tracks what systems we're running, what the battery, like all the way down to the battery, tablet, whatever we're running, DroneSense tracks it all. But what's also great is we have a back end on there as well where you can log suspects found, arrests made, stolen vehicles, seized property, narcotic value, narcotics uh, seized. Um, And at the end of every year, we compile that and I present it to Chief. Uh, And so that way it shows not just that we're flying a lot, right, but also that we have wins because at the end of the day, that's what really matters. and so we document all of that um, and present that. We're also required by state law uh, to report all of the flights every single uh, odd year between January 1st and January 15th. Um, and so not only am I required to do that anyway, but we do it every year. Uh, and we also present that up because that's, like I said, that's what keeps the budget going. Because it's not just, yeah, we flew a thousand times. Well, how many suspects you find? Right. Not one. <laughs> right. yeah. That's not helpful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right.
1: So. And so drone sense is... Um, an outside company, but basically law enforcement, drone support.
0: Correct. So DroneSense is a software as a service. Um, They are solely focused focused on public safety. So everything that DroneSense has built out is designed for law enforcement, fire EMS uh, type responses and maintenance. So um, not only does it provide secure live streams, but it also safeguards and tracks everything on the back end from a program management perspective uh, which pretty much did my job for the last two years that i worked for parallel which is great uh, but like before that we were running excel spreadsheets right and so like that was obnoxious because yeah, that's clunky yeah it's clunky and if somebody forgets to log out it locks the whole thing down right <laughs> so so it's almost
2: kind of, kind of like the watch guard of yes. the patrol camera when the drone world
0: yes correct Okay. Yeah, it yeah. tracks all that. It doesn't. We don't save any of the of the data as far as uh, video and photos and stuff because we don't want to deal with the chain of custody of that. That all just saves to the SD card on the drone. But we track all the rest of it, um, so we're able to export all that information out. So, prime example of that back in 2022, the last stats that I have in my head. Uh, was our most prolific year we had, and I was able to pull all that information out of drone Sense. So we had a little over 256 deployments um, for live operations. Oh, that's
1: a lot. Uh, I,
0: I pushed them real hard la- last year. It's <laughs> like fly, fly, fly. Uh, we found 84 suspects, 54 arrests, five victims located, uh, 22 stolen vehicles located, $1.4 million in seizure fund asset uh, assistance, and
3: 1,400 stolen
2: items. 1. 1.4 million?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a bunch of catalytic converters. Yeah. Ah, we're, so, so we're, we're attached to, if you can think of a division, of the PD and you're thinking, man, I wonder if air support would help that property. We get, we get yeah. stuff, we get, we get tasked with them. Right. Um, so when our, uh, special, special investigative group goes out and they need to go find something and what better way to find it than in the air. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so we clear a lot of that stuff with them. I work with our detectives, we work with our special investigative group. We work with our crime scene group.
2: Damn, but you're with your sign of patrol though. Oh yeah. You must get a shit ton of overtime.
3: Uh, a little bit. A little <laughs> bit. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Um, so, we do all the reconstructions for the city. Um,
2: so, your traffic, you're attached to CID, traffic, patrol, SWAT,
3: SWAT, K 9. K 9. That's why we continue to expand our unit because yeah. we're just oh my God. more we, tasking. We've integrated into every aspect of law enforcement in
0: Pearland. Every finally, single one of the
3: them. The city's grown their drone program. Rock. Associated with us. And so they've taken, we used to have, we used to have, the two of us used to do all the city tests too. I used to take pictures of buildings for.
2: Yeah. So, Quint, you didn't know this, but the city was there. So they have done all the city, like city works, public works was there, fire departments. I mean,
1: so this is expanding continuously. That's cool. Yeah. So, so we, a lot of people like me thought a drone program, a drone was an aircraft intended to be external, to be flown outside. Tell us a little bit about. How y'all developed it, and the capability of, like you mentioned, SWAT SWAT support, and the abilities that you guys in the life saving, preventing harm and, and, and exposure. Tell the listeners a little bit about what that looks like.
3: So that, that's that's our most recent expansion is into our uh, our SWAT and our our um, warrant team. We have a, we just created a warrant team for not SWAT events, and our cart team is a, a three agency group cart team. And so when they go to calls, we get, we get sent with them. Well, originally, we were external support, so we flew the outside of the house and broadcast that flight through DroneSense so that our command staff could easily see what, what we could see, right? Because command always wants a, a better picture of what's going on. They're stuck down the street, got no idea, getting half, half stories from one person, and so they want a better idea. So they gave them a good, good visual picture of the actual scene. And then we've expanded into the internal side. So now when we breach a building we can send a drone in first before the first officer has to go inside. So the for, the for the before the first conflict between an officer and a suspect, there's a conflict between a drone and a suspect. And so, that's a that's a $500 drone that I'm sending inside that house. If they decide to take a baseball bat to it, if they decide to to s- steal it. I I got $500 out. I I'm not I'm not out a fortune of money. It's uh, easily replaceable. Yep. And it's a, it's a great tool. And most of the time when we go inside, um, as soon as it clears the door, you can watch our videos, you can watch other agencies' videos. Um, suspects come to it. They're drawn to it just because it's loud. And they want to know what's going on inside their house. They're used to the door getting kicked in and a bunch of cops storming in the door. And so when it's not a bunch of cops, then they're like, why did you kick my door in and what's that buzzing sound in my house?
1: Um, Is something about to go boom?
3: yes. <laughs> So my, my first my first indoor deployment, uh, one one person refused to come out of the house. I flew inside, and no sooner I was I was still over the doormat inside the front door when he poked his head around the corner to see what had come in the house, and the team was able to immediately give him verbal commands. He knew he was seen, and he came out of the house.
2: What I thought was cool is he said the team actually carries multiple batteries, and so you just set the drone down when you when you're out of batteries, you set the drone down. The teams practice this, uh, where they deploy the battery back on it you lift off and and you can continue with the search inside the residence, which is, that's, that makes a huge difference
3: for large structures. That's our, that's our goal is to make it where I can, I can land it. They can, they can put new batteries in it. We can leapfrog it forward again.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, you're talking about a game changer.
3: Yes. And
0: we want to talk about how easy it is to fly one of these. So when I first got our very first one in, um, there was an officer who was walking through the PD. that was on SWAT. And I said, Hey, come here. I need you to fly this drone. He's like, I've never flown a drone in my life. I was like, I know, but this is a SWAT drone. So it's got to be easy to fly and it's got to be crashable. So let's see if you can make it happen. Right. He was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. And he's like, but I'm not in trouble if I crash a drone. I was like, no, it's on me. I got it. So he put it up he put the goggles on. He flew the drone. He cleared the entire b- downstairs of our police department. Uh, never flying a drone in his life. Didn't crash this drone. No kidding. Mm-hmm. And he did it in about seven minutes. Um, so that's how user friendly these are. That's how stable they are indoors. Uh, I mean, they are a game changer of moving from dynamic entries to these static entries while deployments. And they're goggle worn. Yeah, so these are goggle worn. Wow,
1: it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So there's there's been the the session just in Well, no, the session just didn't end. It just ended and is back in special session. But there was some bills this year that started out. A bit controversial, but more so due to the educational component and people having an understanding rather than just um, innuendos or or um, rumors or tweets. Share a little bit about the the drone bill and the DGI and the beliefs and the, but the reality behind some of that the technology.
0: Certainly. Um, So there were three country of origin bans that came through. Florida was the first state in the nation to get a state-issued ban on DJI platforms. Um, It was catastrophic to Florida uh, for that. They had a hurricane come in later that year, um, and they still had to fly all the drones that they just got banned because we needed to save lives, right? Um, So one of the challenges that – and one of the educational issues that we have about these systems is – in the very early days of DJI, there were two platforms that uh, a study was done by DOD, uh, and it was found that there was information going back to China, right? That from all the data that I've been able to find on it and talking to some of the people who helped do some of the tests, um, they don't know where the data went. They just know it went to China, mainland China. That could have went to DJI so that they can do market analysis to build the next latest and greatest, right? That could have went to the Chinese government. We don't know. Um, that information got out. Uh, there was a update to the drone. That door got closed. Since then, there has been around six independent studies on these platforms that has validated that there is no data being leaked out like that anymore. You can run these systems completely off network. Uh, even the Pentagon has gone through and said, "Okay, yeah, the, we've safeguarded those those holes that we found." Um, so that's one of the concerns. Uh, so having those discussions and explaining that, you know, yeah, there, this is a, a platform made in China, but so is all of our Wi-Fi routers, right? So is all the cameras that we're running. So is all of the laptops that we're on. They all have Chinese components in them. Um, if that is truly a concern, then I recommend not banning the platform, but re- require a data security policy in place, right? It's no different than any of the other computers that IT brings on. They're required to do it a data security analysis of those systems to make sure that it meets their policy. Do the same thing with these. These are just flying computers. You don't have to overcomplicate it. But doing an outright ban on these systems, because, again, over 95 percent of public safety agencies are using DJI or a Chinese manufacturer platform, that would be catastrophic to agencies across the nation. And because Florida fell, there has been multiple other states that are also falling. This has happened in Arkansas. This has happened in, uh, I believe it was Alabama. It's happened in Tennessee. Um, and so this is all coming forward. Texas was one of them uh, that had bills forward. California also had bills for both Texas and California able to um, educate the legislators on how that would be catastrophic and, and what are some alternatives to those bills so that we can kind of meet in the middle on that, right? We definitely need data security. We definitely need to make sure that we, the data that we're collecting is safeguarded, right? Nobody would disagree with that, but we're not going to completely eliminate a manufacturer just because, there may be a data security concern. So two questions
1: mm-hmm. is a component of Drone, uh, Drone Sense is a component of them data security that yes. is a firewall, so to speak, for
0: We are. So we exposure? are, we are uh SOC two type two certified, and we're also text ramp certified. So that means things in the IT world for COP. It doesn't, but for IT data security side of the world, that that's incredibly important. I can also tell you as somebody who's crashed a lot of drones, um, when I sent those drones into into DGI for repair, they didn't have the flight logs because we fly everything in drone sense. Right. So if they wanted the flight log to be able to go through and figure out what happened, I had to send it to them. Okay. So that, that validated for me that they don't have access to this stuff. Right. Um, that was a big component of it. Uh, but yes, there is a lot of data security that goes into that. I mean, it DG, uh, Texas DPS is running drone sense with all of their uh, platforms that they're running as well. Um, with with dgi product mm-hmm. uh, DJI and uh, and autel they have a few different pro- platforms uh they're looking at other non-chinese platforms in the event that a country of origin ban does get passed so right. they are it's good to have a diverse fleet in the event that something happens right um, but they do primarily have a chinese platform system as well i mean that would be catastrophic to operation lone star as well um so that's some of the educational components that we had to have with some of the legislators that were putting some of these bills through because they were just misinformed. I, there was one legislator that uh, was explaining to me that, "Well, Texas DPS stopped using D, uh, Chinese platforms two years ago." I'm like, "I'm flying NCAA Final Four tomorrow, and they're flying nothing but DJI platforms, so in um, an hotel." But. Um, yeah, there's just a there's a high component of misinformation and education that needs to happen, and that's where it's important to get with some of these associations, like Law Enforcement Drone Association, which is I'm a board member of, and or uh, Drone Responders is another really good organization out there, uh, just to help get educated on what these systems are, what they do, where some of the misinformation, and what's the reality.
1: And, and in the event that that legislation would have passed, or in some states that it has. When you say devastating, it's because the the ugly fact that we have to admit is if you ban DJI and in, in some of the better platforms, there's not
0: a lot of great options. No, that that, that was – unfortunately, you're, you're right. There's not. Um, there are platforms that I wish would have a little bit more capabilities. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm a red-blooded American just like anybody else. I would love an American-made product to be as capable and affordable as DJI if that was the case we would we would probably transition in a heartbeat but um they're just not right there right now and and there's there's a lot of factors that come into that right like china can can manufacture things at a much cheaper rate than we can right now um and and there's scalability there's a lot of things that go into that but um we all would love to fly an american-made product if there was one that was as capable and as affordable
1: shout out elon musk
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah right please and thank you yeah um But, yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the bigger challenges that we have. Um, But it would be catastrophic. And and I hate to liken it to this, but um, I had one one individual um, say, you know, well, do you want China to be able to just turn off all your drones and, you know, at any given time? And that's just not a reality. They don't have the ability to do that. Uh, But I argued back. I said, well, by you banning these drones, you're killing people today because on a, what might happen down the road because if i can't put a drone in the air to safeguard my officers to safeguard my civilians that i'm trying to rescue autistic kids autistic kids in, in near lakes they will die and that's the reality of it wow. I, see
2: a, I see a ko drone coming in the car and oatbread drone <laughs> in the future. <laughs>
0: I don't know about that. I don't know if we're
1: that smart. With y'all's, technology, <laughs> with y'all's technology and Tyler's money. Oh, sure yeah. Can happen. We'll make this happen. What?
2: No. No, maybe Elon can jump on that one.
3: I got yeah. that retirement money. Yeah. What? No. I listen to your podcast.
2: Shit. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't no Joe Rogan here. I'd have to bring Clint on. Hey, we could have Clint's face on the side.
0: I like it. I like it. It, it would sell. Yeah, it would. Yeah. I'd buy that. On the side of the drone. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. The, the many
1: suspect when you flew it into the
2: house,
0: intimidation factor, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> get that <laughs> absolutely,
2: thing Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well guys, man, this has been a pretty cool episode. Again, I think this is the future of law enforcement. And I think that, uh, honestly, obviously we're saving lives. Uh, but it's also the safety of law enforcement too. I mean, we're flying these in the houses. Uh, you're flying these with stacks of law enforcement with tactical situations. Uh, we're saving autistic children. Uh, you know, I mean, this, this is the future of, uh, of our profession. And, uh, you know, kudos to you guys for taking the, the initiative. Uh, you know, with Paraland in 2017, uh, again, I, it was it was interesting to me. I called him right after uh, the first four hours. Number one, I was scared shitless because I had no idea it was going to be that in depth. I thought it was going to be some badass drone class, be getting to fly around. And I called him and I was like, "Hey, bro, this is uh, this is way more in depth than what I, I I thought." So it really did scare me. I was like, "Hey, can I can I come home?" <laughs> I mean, We've ordered class, yeah, we ordered and, drones and, and, for and yeah. Yeah, it was way more in
1: depth than what I anticipated. So Clinton, you got anything else? Um I think it's cool that you guys are the first in the country to have the certification yeah. that you do. Um uh, Dallas SWAT years ago when the Dallas five um were killed on seven seven was the first American law enforcement agency to utilize a robot to deploy an explosive ice device downrange. Um which I never thought we would send a suicide bomb downrange to, to stop a suspect, but I'm proud that happened in Texas. I'm proud to get to sit down and visit with you guys doing something It's a first in our country, and it's happening here in Texas. Yep. And if we don't continue to think outside the box, especially with a recruiting and retention crisis, yeah. and you talked about it being a force multiplier, when your staffing's down 30 or 40%, and I can pop that in the air... Maybe save the few guys I have left from getting killed. That's huge, right? And anybody with any sense should be considering at their department, a, as he said earlier, five or ten man department has ten thousand dollars to be able to save save lives, protect, um, find stolen vehicles, but more importantly, those autistic kids or or those situations at night. Yep, that's huge, yes. man. It's not even
0: it shouldn't even be considered. Yep, right. I agree. You got anything else? Um, do you want to talk a little bit about training that yeah, you all offer?
3: Uh, we offer a 107 class. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you how good it is. Well, it, 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 it,
2: it was scary <laughs> at first. It was scary at first. I'm not the product what? of the success, but but it was, a, it was a really good class. I'm pretty sure I
3: warned you when you came in the door. You did. You did. This, you is did. A, this is not a law enforcement class. This is a... Uh, this is the FAA class. You're going yeah. to learn way more than you younger. are. How
2: many How many questions are you shy of actually getting your pilot license? 20? 40. 40 40? Mm-hmm. 40 okay.
3: questions shy of getting actual pilot license? Yeah, it's it ain't tough. no bullshit. Just so apply this little thing right here. Yeah. If, um, any book, if any
1: of our listeners have Drones for Dummies book, they could loan Tyler. I need the whole. <laughs> yeah, I need. Yeah, it's,
3: it's bad. He'll it's get bad. there. Yeah. He'll get there. He's still studying. Yeah. Um. So we offer a 107 class, and then we offer a legal class where we go over case laws and um, current. Laws that are in the books for what we can and can't do with these aircraft.
1: How would folks find that? How would they find you to get a hold of that training?
3: Uh, go to the city of Pearland uh, PD page, or go to PPD Training Elements Yep,
2: yep. Hey, and their training facility was phenomenal, and their and their website
1: it was legit. I mean, their, the whole training experience at Pearland PD was uh, was phenomenal. And how would they find uh, if somebody was wanting to dip their toe in and, and utilize
0: Drone Sense? How would they find you? You can just go to dronesense.com. Uh, I'm not hard to find. <laughs> I'm everywhere. Um, but, yeah, you can go to dronesense.com. Uh, you can fill out an info sheet on that, and one of our uh, representatives will get in touch with you. More than likely, I'll be doing the uh, the demo on there, so you get to see me again and talk about that. Uh, so we do a bunch of different trainings online for that, as well as if you want to fly a drone uh, remotely, you'll be able to fly for exactly where you're sitting, and you'll be flying a drone in Michigan, uh, which is a lot of fun. Wow. <laughs> so, Yeah. Um, Damn, that's cool. Yeah, it is. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Uh, But, yeah, we can get you trial set up so that y'all can give it a shot and see what y'all think and see if it's going to best suit uh, your agency. Geo,
2: how can they find you? Well, it's not through uh, 107 yet. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully when I pass that glass. Well, hey, we always end the show with uh, some rapid-fire questions. I'm going to let Clint finish it off because I always screw it up, and I don't want to be accused of messing it up intentionally (laughs) because we have kind of a – a uh, competition going on of a
1: certain question so it's not even close oh well, no it is it is <laughs> best cop movie or favorite line from a cop movie
3: uh, I, I might say a TV show and I, I grew up watching Chips
0: Chips nice. yep Punch or John Punch Punch there you go you good one? I'm gonna bring it right back to drones and I'm gonna say I'm a peacock you gotta let me fly yes yes that's, a good <laughs> one. that's, that's probably the most popular movie yeah, yeah. love <laughs> it on here yeah. Um,
1: favorite caprice? No, cop car. Cop. Sorry. Mm. Spoiler alert. The favorite <laughs> favorite patrol car of all time that you've driven or that you're a fan of?
0: Crown Vic. My man. Yeah, the Crown Vic was by far the more, more oh. fun vehicle. So we went from the Crown Vic
3: to the old Tahoe, new Tahoe, and then the mm. new Explorers. Mm. And we enjoyed the Crown Vicks. Whew. You never wondered if your friends were in a pursuit when they got on the radio in the Crown Vic. That's <laughs> right, because you could hear it. Yeah. Right? it was- oh. <laughs> that, that thing was a beast. Oh, clicking click, click, click. in the show now. <laughs> it made my heart. Oh,
2: it <laughs> warms my heart. All right, favorite drink, adult beverage. I'll, I'll, I got it from here.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: uh, right now, Whistle Pig. Uh, bourbon. Yep. Whistle
1: Pig? Yeah. I've never heard of that.
3: Uh, uh, is it deep? Neat, on
1: ice.
0: Mixed? On ice. On ice, yeah. Ice. I like a bourbon, uh, bullet bourbon old-fashioned. old, fashioned. That's, oh, old yeah, yeah, That's my yeah. goal, too. Bullet regular or bullet rye? Rye. Rye? Mm-hmm. This is foreign to me. I don't know what that is. I'll give you another shout-out. If you go to the Stella Hotel down by Teaks, they ma- they have a, uh, a speakeasy in there. And they oh, have some yeah. of the best old-fashions I've ever had. Really? Yes. I'll have to try that out one day. Yeah. Get him one with Angel Zinby in it. Yes. <laughs> don't try
1: Angel Zinby. I'll have to tell you that story off camera. <laughs> it's,
2: it's a good one. I have, I have bad experience. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it's, it's not good. Well, hey, we're wrapping things up here at the Blue Grit. Uh, you guys stay safe out there. It's getting pretty crazy. It's uh, getting pretty hot outside with summertime, so you know what that means. High call volumes and uh, crazy law enforcement days ahead. So,
1: Reach out if you don't have a drone. Reach out to one of these guys. Uh Man, it's the wave of the future and saving officers' lives, saving citizens' lives, and having eyes in the sky. Man, you can't uh, you can't go wrong. Nope, nope. Conference is open, registration is open, so you guys don't
2: miss out. July 21st to 23rd, maybe we'll get to see some drone activity.
0: I'll be able to make that happen? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, hell yeah. that'd yeah, be pretty, that cool. pretty cool. High
1: Regency Reunion Tower, the big ball in Dallas conference. We'll see you there. Absolutely.
2: You guys stay safe as always. May God bless you and may God bless Texas. We're out.